Hi, this is Melesia with Interview Secrets That Get You the Job. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to share these secrets. I'm excited to interview people who know more than I do. How do I even come to a place where I know interview secrets? Pretty easy. One, I've had over 50 jobs myself. Actually started working when I was 13. It was the summer I turned 14, but I was definitely 13 when I started getting my first paycheck. And in between, I've had temp jobs, I've had contract jobs, I worked two or three jobs at a time. I was a small business owner, I wrote a book, I've had amazing full-time jobs, and even beyond that, I was a welfare-to-work job coach and a recruiter in a past life. So all of my experience has given me the opportunity to see places where people used really great secrets, skills, opportunities to really excel in their interview. I've also seen situations where people just said all the wrong things. They had sweaty hands, they were stressed out, they had a wardrobe malfunction. And so I'm here to share with you secrets that get you the job. Hey everyone, thanks for joining another episode of Interview Secrets That Get You The Job. Today I'm super excited to be interviewing Scott Mautz. He is the CEO of Profound Performance and a popular speaker on workplace motivation and engagement. He's a veteran uh, from Procter & Gamble as an executive and an adjunct professor at Indiana University. He is the author of Make It Matter and Find Your Fire and a weekly contributor to Inc., which is how I found him. Hi, Scott. Hey, great to be here. Really happy to be here, Melissa. I love what you're doing, and I'm ready to contribute. Oh, that's great. So um, I found you on Inc. You had written on National Bosses Day, um, five skills employees most want their bosses to have. Um, and I was just fascinated, like, yeah, yeah, I wish my boss read this. <laughs> That's often the case, right? When we share stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, but, but what I thought was fascinating about this article, and we'll go into it a little bit more as we move along, but what I thought was awesome was that you took both sides to the approach instead of like everybody sitting around the, you know, the lunchroom table going, yeah, uh-huh, this person doesn't have that skill. You said, but here's how you can you know help develop it in your boss or this is how you can give back to the problem solving you know and take responsibility for your part too and i thought that is interesting yeah thanks and i think it's inherently true we all have the energy to complain about our boss don't we that's the easy part <laughs> the hard part is well what are you going to do about it you know you're going to change something you know yeah. do you do you want the relationship to change uh, or do you just want things to change without you putting in energy and yeah that's where that article is coming from well and, and if you think about it work i mean we don't like to think we want to think of ourselves as everything that we do outside of our job you know, our family or the way we spend our time or who we contribute to or, 
maybe volunteering, donating, that sort of thing. But the truth is our work is, is a big definition of who we are. And like I heard somebody say the other day, you know, it's the way we give back to our fellow man. However it is, whether you're a customer service at Xfinity or you're, um, you know, running a hospital or, you know, something in between, you, you're giving back to your fellow man. That's what your job in life is. So, you know, being able to take back, you know, our strengths and take back our, our growth as a human, you know, like you said, we can contribute to that. So. So I am excited because I just finished your book, uh, Find Your Fire, and I was quoting it to my friends and family. <laughs> All, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, look at this, look at this. And I, I'm going to tell you that I actually have a regret with your book. I regret that I bought it on Amazon Kindle and I'm reading it on my phone instead of buying the paper copy because <laughs> I, I need to own your book. I'm actually going to go back and buy it because... There's just too many incredible nuggets in there that I, that I need to really keep in the front of my mind. So I love it. Um, so the interview um, is the main focus of this podcast. That's why it's called Interview Secrets That Get You the Job. And so, um, you know, we talked about this article. We'll talk about it a little bit more. But um, can you tell me... I, I don't think you probably interview for jobs now, but maybe for collaborations, things like that, but, um, or you have meetings about them, but what would you say you used to use that set you apart as a candidate when you used to apply for jobs? Yeah, it's a good question. And <clears throat> I've been on both sides of the fence many, many times, uh, not only within my 30 corp 30 year corporate career, Within that, I was also the team leader on <clears throat> many an interview team for Procter & Gamble. Then I was also, you know, on the other side of applying for jobs internally with at, at P&G and also across my career. So, yeah, I, it's a really good question to ask. And, you know, what I would say is that for me, the number one secret is maybe not something that you've heard before and it may make you scratch your head a little bit, but I'll, I'll set it up and then I'll explain it. I always used to enter an interview thinking, you know, bottom line, this person probably has um, a son or a daughter. Usually by the time you're interviewing, they're, they're seasoned enough because they have the experience to identify good talent. And I'd always ask myself, you know, if I'm a boss and I'm going to hire somebody new, I, a good question is, would I want my child to work for that person? Hmm. And I tried to be the kind of person that the other, the person on the other side of the table would see, you know, yeah, boy, if my son or daughter was working for this person, this guy, that'd be a good thing with me. That creates a whole nother standard of connection, of human connection. All of a sudden, you know, when you say, look, I want to be that kind of guy that the interviewer on the other side of the table believes he'd like a family member to work for or with, mm -hmm. it, it requires you to be a lot more human. You're not just a robot. You're not just a machine there to get the job. You become a human being. You, you lower defenses a little bit. You're just as prepared as if you were going to go in and talk to an uptight, you know, interviewer. Yeah. But you let the human qualities in you come out. You let human stories come out. You let things come out that show that you are a good person, that it's about a greater good. You know, like you were just talking, uh, uh, Malicia, you were just talking about, you know, the need to give back. And you let stories come out that paint a holistic picture of 
my son or daughter would be a better person for having known this person. And I've always found it leads to incredible connections on the other side. Yeah, even to this day, even when I'm, you know, interviewing a potential uh, person to come and uh, work in my shop, or if I'm pitching someone to come and work in my business um, mm -hmm. type of thing, it still works that way for me. Does that, does that surprise you? And does it make sense? <laughs> it makes perfect sense. And it actually gets to the heart of is, does this have the, per does this person have the integrity that matches the way, you know, that I want to run, you know, my business unit? That's, that's fascinating, actually. It, it surprises me because you're right. No, nobody's ever said that to me. And it's probably not something I thought of. But yeah, would I trust, would I trust the employees that I've already groomed and managed and I have appointed for succession planning to this person? You know, are they going to head them in the right direction or not? But because of the mindset of what I trust my child, you know, under their, their guidance. So that's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's a whole other standard, right? Think of the standard yeah. you have to clear in an interview bar now to come across as somebody that the interview's very child would want to work with or work for. It, it sets a whole other standard of human connection. And I've often found that, you know, the people on the other side of the coin now, you know, when I'm, when I'm the interviewer, you know, you were asking me, you know, what are my secrets for how to get that job? But when I'm on the other side, I often find that the thing that distinguishes people that I'm interviewing, they're, they're people that you, there's just something about them after a day of 10 interviews, you just mm -hmm. remember them and you yeah. remember their story and you remember um, the humanness to them. So I find it to be a very, very powerful standard to set for yourself. Yeah. And it, I think, um, you know, if both sides can be authentic, they're going to understand that person that comes to the table, you know, what they are going to be like day in and day out. And um, I want to interject a small example story. My, my middle son, I have three children and my middle one, he, he met at a chamber of commerce event that I was at and he happened to be with me. Um, and he was already an adult. So he was a college student. He met somebody that my husband and I knew from, from the business community. We knew this person for different reasons. And this guy offered our son a job. And we both said, you know what? We don't know him that well, but there's something about that guy. It's just so shady. I mean, there's something like he's smiling to your face, but it feels weird. And, but my son's like, no, no, this is a great experience for me. You know, I want to try it out. And in the end, he was very, very shady, but it was, it's interesting that I've had that experience to watch it happen that I was like, no, I don't, I don't know. I love you too much <laughs> to, make you, to, to let you work for this guy. I know he looks classy. I know he looks sharp. He dresses sharp. He's a business owner, but there's something about him. And, you know, in the end, there was something about him. And our, our son, you know, was only like 19. So he escaped unscathed and he's, you know, he thinks it's a great experience in life, but he was like, man, you guys were right. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you didn't know him very well, but you were able to discern that this, there was something up with this guy. So that's interesting. You would say our child, because it's one of our most precious, you know, <laughs> commodities in life is our children and then to trust them. But I think, I think managers feel that a way about really good employees, you know, that yeah. they, they've, they've spoken into their life and they want to see, you know, that they turn them over to the right person.
So. Yes. Well, so, and I like that term, you know, turning over to the right person again, speaks to the standard that if you can clear that bar, you're going to get that job. So yeah, I like, that's good. It's a good build. Yeah. So I was reading your book and I loved all of it. I mean, I just, the problem with me is I've taught myself to be a speed reader. And so I was like, slow down, slow down. There's too many good things. <laughs> I, like, I kept trying, and I was trying to read it in time for this interview. I definitely wanted to speak about your book, Find Your Fire. Um, and I love the Inspire Someone chapter because we should be giving back even if we're the most entry-level position and we're just starting out. I hope I hope we're all giving and turning around to see who needs our help, who needs encouragement, you know, who needs, uh, you know, look, this is what I found in Salesforce and this is how I make my job easier, anything like that. <laughs> but wow. um, so, so inspiring someone else, I thought that was fascinating. But the one quote that I just haven't been able to let go of um, was this. It said, decide who gets to criticize you. Not all criticizers are created equal, and some shouldn't even get a seat at the table. Set criteria for those who make the cut and mentally dismiss the rest. They'll thus be too busy pounding sand to criticize you anymore. Mentors are a particularly good choice for those on the shortlist because they can give you practice receiving criticism in a safe environment, making it a less frightful experience over time. Scott, can you explain how you came up with this concept? I, I would say this is not common sense. I mean, yes, it's easy for somebody, say a teenager to go, I, I don't take what you say to me, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't see any point in that, but that's not what you're saying here. It's very, very um, emotionally mature what you're saying here. It's not just, no, I don't listen to those other people. Um, how did you come up with this concept? How did you come to the conclusion in your life? Do you have any examples of when you made that decision for yourself? Yeah, I can. And uh, thanks. I'm glad that was powerful for you. I get that reaction a lot. Um, and I even talk about that uh, in keynotes that I've given. Here's what I've found, you know, after being in corporate for so many years, it, you begin to assume the position. You begin to assume that all criticism must be valid. It begins to weigh on you, especially if you work in a, a company or an environment where there's a, some sort of a calibration where you have a rating system where you have to stand up to other employees and you have you, you get compared to them to determine how well you're doing. And, mm -hmm. and then as you go over the years, you're working for a host of insecure managers and people who um, get their jollies and project their own problems by criticizing you, it all starts to build up until it becomes something that you assume, well, that's that's the way it is, that all criticism needs to be taken equal. And what happens is we really start to limit ourselves and we start to spiral it down because we treat all the criticism as equal, when in truth, it really isn't. Mm -hmm. You have a choice in deciding what criticism in your life is going to parse out and, and be true and what it's not. And in fact, research that I've been doing, check this out, now shows us that 85% of all the criticism that we receive, 85% of it is not really even warranted or worthy, right? Huh. And yet we take over 80, you know, 80, over 85% of it to heart probably. Yeah. So we get the equation wrong. And I saw just person after person in the corporate world just beating themselves up, making themselves a lesser version than they really were because they were starting to 
treat all criticism equal. And I experienced this myself. Uh, you were asking for a personal story. You know, when I decided that I had run my course in the corporate world at Procter & Gamble, and it was a, a great run. I loved every minute of it. I had more opportunity ahead of me, but I knew that I had to go do what I do now. I'm, I'm a keynote speaker, yeah. writer, an author, a teacher, a columnist, and that had been burning in me for years. And so when I finally decided to tell folks that I was doing that, I was stunned at the amount of criticism that I took from a wide variety of people. You know, the usual cacophony of unhelpful sentiment, like, how can you leave such an incredible job behind? <laughs> you don't know anything about, you know, professional speaking, even though I'd been speaking for 10 years on the side, you know, like, yeah. you know, how are you going to sort of survive as a writer? We hear that writers don't make any money. How are you going to, how are you going to, why aren't you, why aren't you, you know, everyone assuming that, the definition of myself was still what it was in the corporate world. And it was at that point that, you know, I really decided that, you know, I'm going to parse out who gets to have a vote on what I'm going to go do. Mm -hmm. And I discovered like, like many people, you're given too many people, too many votes. Yeah. And you really need to boil down the amount of people that have the right to criticize you. And that's not to say that so that you'll make your world so small of people that can criticize you so that you don't get helpful feedback. But, but what that really does for us is it helps keep and prevent you from giving undue influence to those who shouldn't have it. And believe me, it's undue influence when we now know that, check this out, we now know that, you know, and the truth is we're far more likely to remember criticism, four times more likely to remember criticism than we are praise. Yeah. So you, you cannot give that power to other people in your life anymore. And I drew the line in the sand when I decided to leave corporate. And it made all the difference in the world for giving me the courage to, to do that. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And you're right. I mean, when, when you've been super successful in one role, then people want you to stay there, especially people who are jealous or people who haven't even attained that much. They're like, well, then stay there because I didn't even get that chance. So yeah, there's <laughs> projection, right? Right. Yeah. Projection. I, I have <laughs> to say that with, with criticize, with criticism is the, the side where you say, your words don't define me or your expectations don't define me um, or, you know, this report, because I've been in sales for many years and, you know, I just, I would tell my coworkers when we'd have a bad month or something like that, I'd say, this doesn't define us. Think about a time when you won the trip to the Bahamas or you won the bonus or, you know, you were salesperson of the year. And I, I make my coworkers think about that because I'm like, stop it. You know, September isn't the been end all be all for you, you know, or whatever. And so that is, you know, something I try to tell people is like, don't let this, you know, go back and remember when you've been awesome. And even if it's just when you've been awesome babysitting your niece or when you've been awesome at something else, you know, like do that, have that conversation with your brain. <laughs> well put. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, I tell myself that brain, <laughs> like let it go. <laughs> you know, Now's not, the time you know, to stop. We're not bitter. We're not offended. We're, we're let it go brain. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's a good way to think about it. I like that. Just, you know, just so, stop and talk to yourself like you would, you talk to a friend in need, right? Not yes. like you, yeah, that's right. 
So Scott, um, if we can take a break for a second, I want to um, take a minute to promote a product that I've come across um, and that I think is very interesting, especially for people who are interviewing. Hi, podcast listeners. I just wanted to take a break from this riveting information and conversation with Scott Mouts just to talk about a product that I think if you have this problem, you should really look into, specifically the Carpe Antiperspirant Hand Lotion. It is a dermatologist-recommended, non-irritating, smooth lotion that helps stop hand sweat. If you have this problem and only people who have this problem really understand how difficult it is. You plan on going into this interview, you know they want to shake your hand before you get started, you're going to sit there and have great conversations, and then somewhere at the end, you're going to be trying to wipe your hand off before they shake your hand one last time, or walk you around the office introducing to you to various people, shaking hands, smiling, nervous the whole time. So I suggest that you take a minute to review carpelotion.com, that's C-A-R-P-E, look them up and find out more about this non-irritating, antiperspirant, 100% smooth, non-greasy, made for the sweatiest hands. The great thing is that carpet actually provides opportunities for you to use products for various body parts. Um, I'd love to talk to you more at the end of the podcast, but you're welcome to look this up. Great. Okay, Scott, welcome back. How are you doing? Oh, ready to go. And I think I'm going to, I think, you know, I too have uh, sweaty palms. I'm all in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, if, if you've just joined our podcast right now, somewhere in the middle, maybe you jumped in somebody's car and they're in the middle of listening to interview secrets that get you the job. I'm speaking with Scott Mouts. He's a CEO of Perform- Profound Performance, a popular speaker on workplace motivation and engagement. He's a veteran Procter & Gamble executive an adjunct professor at Indiana University, and he's the author of two amazing books, Make It Matter, and find your fire. I found Scott because he's also a weekly contributor to Inc. Magazine. All right, Scott. So I have just a few more questions for you. Um, I'm enjoying speaking with you. You're incredibly intelligent. You have so much information. I bet I'd love to sit and listen to one of your um, motivational speaking engagements. I'm sure I would be writing all the notes. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, we'll see if we can arrange that for you sometime. <laughs> That'd be great. If you ever come down to Jacksonville, Florida, that's where I'm at. Makes right. sense. So today we're talking about interviewing, of course, and you wrote this great article for Inc., the five skills employees most want their bosses to have. And according to this LinkedIn study that you reference, those skills are problem solving, time management, decisiveness, empathy, and compassion. And so this is kind of a long question. So um, let, me, let me kind of set it up for you because obviously there's some very obvious ways um, to figure out if somebody has that skill by looking around their office, which I always tell people, look around the office as soon as you walk in and figure out what do they love, what are their interests, to see if you have anything in common, you know, things like that. But 
Um, how can someone interviewing for a job determine if the person speaking with them has these higher level desirable skills? So let's just say one of our listeners is really trying to understand if the hiring manager has a skill. So let's say um, they've worked for a scatterbrain for the last three years and they just, <laughs> they're a super organized person and they can't take it anymore. So they, they want to be with the right employer now. They're like, if I just had a manager that managed me, you know, closer to my style, I think I'd be more effective. So say time management, besides looking at their desk, all the piled up files in the corner on the floor, um, that they're looking at their phone every five minutes, uh, how else could they decode this? What other questions might they ask to get the interviewer to talk about their style, the culture, you know, that they have, say, time management skills? Yeah, excellent question. And the best thing I can tell you and your listeners is to go right at it. Just, you can ask all kinds of veiled questions. Nothing's as powerful as asking it straight up and it's all in how you frame it. So for example, let's, uh, let's carry out like the time management example. What I would recommend your viewers do, if, if time management is important to them and they don't want to work for a scatterbrain, you can couch it in asking the, the hiring manager, that's presumably the one that's conducting the interview, how skilled they are at that skill straight up. And here's how, you know, it might go something like this, you know, hey, um, I am really interested in working here. I also want to make sure I have the right match with a boss. Time management is something that's really, really important to me, right? Then you could take the opportunity to stress how it's a strength of, mm -hmm. of yours. Now, can you tell me, um, is this a strength of yours? Is this something in your journey that you're working on? You know, and if, and if you are working on it, that's okay. I, I just want to understand where you lie on that spectrum. And what this does is multiple things. First of all, you get right at the question without beating around the bush. Sure. Second, one of the key things most interviewers hate, Malicia, is that they absolutely hate people who are in there to practice and they don't really want the job. And, you know, we now know from uh, research that in as many 40% of the, you know, as many as 40% of the interviews that happen, the person on the other side is at best marginally interested in the job and they're just rehearsing. <laughs> and no interviewer wants that. So they want to know when it comes time for you to ask questions, don't waste the questions at the end, end of the interview with things you should know anyways. Like, uh, tell me about, you know, why you're, you know, you the second quarter, uh, you guys did so well. Well, you should be able to read the annual report and know that. Ask more personal questions like this. And what it does is it says, I really want to work here. I recognize one of the most important relationships in working here is that of my boss. And it, and it, it shows a little bit of bravery that you really want to know, are you the right fit for me, not mm -hmm. just the other way around? Mm -hmm. And I find that to be a very compelling thing when an interviewee asks me about things that you know, about me, because I know they're searching for, are we a good fit? Because it's very human, and it's very mature. Everybody knows the number one reason people leave a job is because they don't get along with their boss, right? right? Everyone knows that. So if this candidate is taking the time to ask me about if I'm good at time management, because it's important to them, and if they're framing it in a way that makes it okay if I'm not, I'm much more likely to answer them honestly. And you can, you can follow that with just about anything. And it becomes a, a selling point if you're asking the question, not just an inquisition about something you're trying to learn about the other person, right? Does that make mm -hmm. sense? It does. And, you know, like if you were somebody that likes to get your work done and then you love, say, cycling after work and you're like, 
you find out that this manager works till 1030 at night because they can never get their reports in, that would make you want to walk out the door, I think, you know, <laughs> but, but you want to know that because I feel like most job descriptions are written like a walnut shell game. And, you know, look at how, how long over the years you, you've seen it. I don't, I don't know about now, but over the years, they wouldn't tell you what the salary was. <laughs> you know, and you're like, why are we having this conversation if you don't want to tell me the salary range or where we're headed? I mean, right. I, that's, yeah. that's a are big you tricking me. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's crazy. But I love that. I love that. You know, if you hit it head on and you're having a human to human interaction. And I guess that would be even like in dating. If you said, well, what's your favorite color? Well, what's your last vacation that you enjoyed? Well, what's, you know, instead of getting to the heart of the matter, that other person would know this person's serious and really wants to get to know me, or they're just wasting a Thursday at 7 p.m. time frame, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's right. That's, yeah, so I that's guess, exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah, so, okay, um, and, you know, we had, we had somebody else um, on in another episode, Ed, who is way overqualified for his job, but he's doing what he loves while pursuing, you know, a bigger, a bigger, longer plan for his life. And um, he was highly successful before changing, you know, taking the chance, taking the jump. And he said, we should be communicating well on both sides. So if, if somebody comes across a manager that's just not opening up or just not you know, really giving clues to what the job is like, or, you know, they're putting lipstick on a pig there. What, what could the candidate do to really knuckle down? I mean, and say, come on, let's, let's be real. Tell me about this job. What are the hours? What are the expectations? You know, tell me what, you know, if you have no compassion, <laughs> tell me that now and I'll decide if I need compassion or not. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it comes back to just honesty and reinforcing. You know, if you can couch it as this is a place I really want to work, the manager with, you know, the relationship with my hiring manager is the most important thing to me. And then, you know, you can use it again as an opportunity to show a strength. We use compassion again. Like, you know, I'm really trying to get a sense for, from you here, dear Mr. or Mrs. Interviewer, you know, how you demonstrate compassion at work. That's really important to me because it's an important value of mine. And, and, and using that critical word that begins with V, value, oftentimes can be the bridge. Mm -hmm. and, and how What can, person, what interviewer is going to be offended or hold back if you're trying to find out about values, right? Yeah, go ahead, right. please. <laughs> but, but what if an interviewer struggle, struggles to be authentic? Ah. Um, and then so how if a hiring manager was listening to us talking right now and they were like, yeah, okay, but people don't really ask me those questions. How can I show them that I can be decisive, that I've been working on my problem solving skills, that I'm empathetic? How, what could they, you know, cause this is a lot of blah, blah, blah that goes on in interviews, but yes. how can they get to the matter as a hiring manager and say, look, this, I've worked really hard to be empathetic with my team so if you're coming in here, you're going to see a spirit of empathy. And if you're not down with that, please don't, you know, apply for this job or please don't stay in the process because this is how we're running this business unit right now. 
Yeah, right. And so you're just trying to figure out how do you get the interviewer to that point to say things like that, right? Yeah, if if an interviewer was was trying to convey that they have these skills, you know, they've been working on their themselves and they've been working on their attitudes and, you know, just the way they they manage and they're proud of themselves. How can they convey that to the interviewee? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, the one, one of the great ways to do it is if you're the interviewee, you know, you, you give them some, the interviewer something to react to. You give your own example of how you're um, empathetic and, you know, hey, have you experienced something like that interviewer? Have you shown that, you know, before? Uh, has that, oh, give I'm them sorry. A chance I'm, to, I'm to saying ring. the yeah. interviewer yeah. trying to convey to the interviewee, hey, this is the kind of manager I am. This is I'm proud that I'm this kind of boss. My team thinks of me like this. Uh, How can they convey that? Ah, I see. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. For the interviewer. uh, And this is what, I mean, I, I used to do because I would want to make sure that, you know, like you said, the person was going to also feel the same way that I felt about, you know, something like empathy. So from the interviewer standpoint, it's just as important that you have your own set of stories as the interviewee has their own set of stories. You should know as the, as the hiring manager, what skill sets are really important that you want employees to be cool with and to be mm-hmm. uh, more than cool with to mesh with. Right. So for example, I'll give you a quick example. I, for me, um, problem solving was always a really big thing. If I was going to bring someone onto my job, I had to know that they were into problem solving. So I always had an example of my own on problem solving. So then I would set it up, you know, hey, one of the things that's really important to us here at Company XYZ is problem solving. For example, when I was a young manager, I had to, but up, but up, but up. And I set it up for like, it's an expectation of problem solving is important here. I, as the interviewer, believe in it. Here's an example of how I did it. And I'm hoping it's true for you too, interviewee. So mm-hmm. it's a long way of saying interviewers have to have their stories ready, just like the interviewees do. It's what's called being prepared for an interview, right? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, if we all took interviewing more seriously, <laughs> then we wouldn't have to read Find Your Fire because, <laughs> because then people are literally trying to drum up, you know, their motivation and they're like playing Rocky on their way to work. Like, I can do this, I can do this, you know, and crying all the way home, right? So <laughs> well said, well said. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if we, if we just took it seriously, you know, I mean, remember the old days, I, I don't know. I don't know if they do it now, but remember the olden days when they would have like this list of questions, like there'd be like 10 questions are, are drop dead questions that we all use and everybody got a copy and then they would go around the table. Like you do one, you do two, you ask three, you ask four. It was so stupid and boring (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to put it yeah i'm i'm hoping nobody does that anymore but i i can't say that they don't i i don't know it's it's like you know did you look into this person did you figure out did you go to their social media did you see what they're passionate about what they bring to the table but you know what i find as a candidate um when i'm a candidate scott is that companies they literally want you to fill their one little hole that they have, they have a gap in, but they don't look at the whole person 
like from a succession planning mindset and say, well, she's great at this, but did we see that they also have been a teacher before? Or they've also, you know, worked in, you know, they, on their, on their side gig, they'd make websites. Might we sometimes lend them over to the IT department just to enrich their brain? You know, that, that just doesn't happen. That's, that's right. And, that, and, and that's why I assume part of the purpose of this podcast, right? To help not only interviewees, but I bet interviewers to kind of take this a little more seriously. <laughs> These are people's yeah. lives you have in your hands. <laughs> well, think how expensive it is to hire the wrong person. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Especially right. if you oh. add a recruiter to the top and they get 25%, you know, of their first year's pay. It's like, what a waste oh. of time, money, and effort. <laughs> oh, by far. By, I, can, I can confirm that for you, uh, Melissa. By, by far, as a, uh, a person who ran you know, businesses that were in the billions in size, all the way down to an entrepreneur who runs a business that's decidedly smaller than that, I could tell you for sure the most painful decisions are incorrect and, un, and uninformed, I guess, hiring decisions. Yeah. It, it just... And I'm usually, I was most often guilty of it when I was in a hurry. The job had sat there unfilled for a long time. I was in a hurry to get it filled and I started compromising what I was really looking for. Then what happens? You get the person in the role. They're a bad fit. Then you got to do the whole process over again. And you just doubled the length of problem that you have. So yeah. right. yes, I 100% agree with you. It's, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, I think, you know, so many companies, they think they're really um, innovative because they do an exit interview, but I'm like, oh. what the hell do you do with all that info <laughs> that you gathered? You know, like seriously, where, where did you put it? Oh, and, you know, is there one person that gathers exit interview and goes, oh my God, we can turn this person around. Hold up <laughs> a second. You know, not, not, like trying to offer them more money, that kind of thing, you know, cause they, I think they, there's this huge statistic, like 90% of people within 18 months of getting a counter offer leave anyway, cause they were leaving anyway. But uh, I don't know, there's some statistic out there about counter offers, but not that, but if they could actually do something, <laughs> yeah. you know, and say, hold on, this person had value. And if we have to, if we have to hire in their place again, we're losing money look at what they said here, you know, that yeah, we never so asked right. them to pitch in for creativity and problem solving, or we never invited them to the table, you know, on the benefit conversation or whatever, you know. Instead of exit interviews, I used to conduct stay interviews where yeah. when, I, when I get a signal that anybody might be unhappy for any reason or, or even before that, I would make assumptions that some change that we were implementing could cause unrest. I would do stay interviews where I would sit with some of my key players and just find out, okay, I'm going to assume that you're happy. Um, but I don't want to assume that for the long run, you know, what does it take to make you stay and ha be happy and healthy and, you know, profoundly performing here and fulfilled. And I found it to be much more enlightening than waiting until they're already gone. <laughs> so. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, I hope you would do an entire, an entire concept on stay interviews. I don't, I've never heard of that before. And people are scared to death to tell their manager anything because it's, you know, even with as low as unemployment is right now and, and when it's not, people are scared to death to say what they really think. Oh, that's so true. 
Oh, yes. I I hope you really I hope you really chase that, Scott. I I would I would love to. I would I would um register for that. I would <laughs> I would love to know more about that. Not not that I'm the boss of anybody. Um maybe just my dog, but <laughs> my kids are all grown. I'm not the boss of them either. But um but that's that is that is Oh, it's mind blowing. I'm I'm sitting here like I want to think about that a little bit <laughs> because I mean it's pretty easy to see when people start to disengage. Oh gosh, know? isn't it right? And, and you're just watching them, are. and they like they quit wearing their makeup, or you know they come a little dis more disheveled, and you can see them in a meeting giving their best friend side eye over there, like uh, look what they just <laughs> said, you know, and, it, <laughs> and yet nobody addresses it till the exit interview. <laughs> so those are the people that quit and stay, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> And there's plenty of those in corporate life. You know, Gallup polls now show us that as many as 70% of the American and global workforce can be coded as disengaged, right? And amongst that 70%, 20% can be coded as actively disengaged, which means like they're doing things to sabotage things at yeah. work. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Well, what's, what's so interesting too is one, I've talked about this in other podcasts that people um, are doing the wrong job anyway. They went to school because somebody told them it was the right degree or they were halfway there and they didn't, you know, when they realized they shouldn't be there, they were, or, or they have kids or they have mortgages or whatever. But so there's that, I mean, that's real, but there's also people that just, you know, the position that they're in like find your fire said they lost it and um and they they're not actively working to get it to get back that love and feeling so. yeah that's very <laughs> well said it's it's a, it's almost become I, I would argue and i say this to anybody that will listen it's really become an epidemic in the workplace these people that quit and stay that assume i am who i'm going to be yeah. and it's it's a real shame you know people need to fall back in love with a concept of challenge and what it means to challenge yourself in your life and to get unstuck. And uh, it has to start, you know, unstuck starts with the letter U for a reason, right? It begins with right, U. Right. But you have to admit that when you're in an organization where if your boss doesn't die or retire, you're never moving up, you know, <laughs> like you, <laughs> then, then unfortunately you have to go, you know, so. Um. All right. That's so well <laughs> we've talked about interviews. We've talked about your awesome article where I found you and, and you've been so gracious to speak with me about, you know, every, all of your knowledge. And like I said, I, I am going to be watching for everything I find that Scott Mouts says, writes, whatever. I, I love your concepts and just your, your experience in life. But before I let you go, can you tell us a little bit about where your journey has you right now? Talk about a, your motivational speaking, maybe your books, um, what your latest passion is. I will put a link. There's a YouTube video um, about your book, Find Your Fire. I will put a link in the description here for people to go um, see what it's about. And obviously, like I said, I found it on Amazon's Kindle and was able to read it on my phone. I don't suggest people do that. Get it, get hard copy. It's that good. <laughs> um, and then just tell us what your latest passion is. Like, do you have another book brewing or what, what's going on with you? Yeah, thanks so, thanks so much for asking. Um, well, in my, my journey right now, I've been uh, four years outside of the corporate world when I decided to take the leap to become a, a keynote speaker and an author, writer. 
-hmm. And that's been going uh, really, really well. Folks, in fact, if they want to check out my books or see what it is I speak about for potential hiring opportunities, you know, I encourage them to go to scottmouts.com, S-C-O-T-T. M-A-U-T-Z.com. And you can find out about all the things that I talk about. And I've even loaded up um, a free workbook uh, that goes along with the book, um, uh, Find the Fire for your listeners, if they're interested in that. Mm-hmm. So they can, you know, download. A lot of people like to do fill in the blank when they're reading a book. So I made sure that was available. So if any of your listeners go there, they can do that. So that, you know, in my journey right now, I'm building my business, my keynote speaking. Um, I have uh, three books under my belt and a free ebook that people can download as well at my site, scottmouse.com, as well as my first book, uh, make it matter and then uh, find the fire. And, and I, I'm always working on the next book idea. Uh, for sure. I have many different ideas. I'm not ready to share any single one of them yet, but I, I'm also proud to say that um, I write an awful lot for ink uh, ink.com. And I'm now their uh, number one desk columnist with over a million readers a month. So oh, wow. What I'm in the middle of writing right now is I write almost every day for Inc. So people can also uh, follow me and get all my columns on, on Inc. as well. And kind of what's next is I'll soon be developing. I already have developed um, a course on inspirational leadership that I uh, sell off of my own platform. It's my own mailing list. But I'm uh, in the midst of preparing uh, some new content and new courses for uh, LinkedIn uh, as well on their new learning platform. So it's more of just building my business, uh, Malicia, trying to make a difference, trying to expand my platform for making a positive difference in people's lives mm-hmm. and enjoying every minute of <laughs> the flexible life that I have now. So, you know, thanks yeah. for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, like I said before, um, I heard this, this gentleman, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, say that he asks people, he doesn't ask them, so what do you do for a living? He says, how do you serve your fellow man? And I thought, that's, that's exactly what it should be. I, no matter what it is you're offering the world, it should serve somebody because that's how, that's how we enrich ourselves. So that's awesome. Um, okay, well, thank you very much, uh, Scott. I will be following along. I hope to see something about save interview <laughs> if you write it or you or you say it or you do it um send me a link because i definitely want to to make sure that i don't miss something about that because you can tell now my brain is stuck there and i'm <laughs> <laughs> and and i don't have any any way to use it myself right now but um now i'm completely fascinated so thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us um, you know, I, I hope that when people see what you have to say, that they will follow up, read your books, um, maybe, you know, get on your website, scottmouts.com and be able to maybe, you know, join your newsletters or anything that you're doing. But I am impressed by what you give back to humanity. And I think that a lot of people could definitely benefit. So thank you so much for your time. And, um, Uh, I appreciate that you were here with us today at Interview Secrets That Get You the Job. Thanks so much. And I hope your listeners all get that job. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Uh, Goodbye. Bye-bye. Sweating is natural. Everybody does it. It's just to be human. But when your hands are really sweaty or some other body part that really bothers you or that is going to be very obvious during an interview, 
take care of it. And if you're looking for a solution, and I used to say use baby powder, but oh my gosh, imagine getting baby powder on your dress pants or on your suit, your dress suit um, as a woman, and what are you going to do now to wipe it off? So I suggest you look into Carpet Lotion. They're at www.carpetlotion.com. But if you want a sample, they've shared with me some samples for feet, hands, um, various other body parts. I'd love for you to reach out to me just to request a sample. I will mail it to you. You can reach me at interviewsecretszilla at gmail.com. Tell me your story. Tell me why you need this product, and I will send you a sample if I have the right one for your body part in question. That's Interview Secrets, Z as in zebra, I-L-L-E-R at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing your stories and then after I send it to you, hearing how it worked for you. It was so great to interview Scott today. He is really innovative and has a lot to share. I really do hope you'll go find his books. Um, Specifically, Find Your Fire is a book that I can recommend because I've already read it. Um, Go look him up at scottmoutz.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com. And um, I hope you really enjoyed this podcast.